69. You know I can't count that high. You're messing me up. That's not fair. I'm All not right, counting. Right. I'm just throwing out numbers. Kind of like when you do a PT test. I don't even sure they count the push-ups. I think they just decide. They probably do. But I just wanted to note, dear listener, that that is not my dog barking this time. So it is not Elvis. And so it doesn't qualify for the drinking game? Doesn't qualify for the drinking game. Yeah, guilt, guilt, guilty as charged. We're dog sitting this week. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right, hey, all you crazy sci-fi and fantasy fans, it's time for your daily dose of shenanigans over here at the Blasters and Blades podcast. Just three nerdy veterans geeking out over our science fiction passions and fantastical fantasies. A place where magic is king, the sky is the limit, and space is the place. So, without further ado, we are going to let the one, the only, Mister Rick Galtieri introduce himself. And I hope I didn't butcher your name too bad. Um, you know something? I probably have about three pronunciations myself, and that was definitely one of them. So <laughs> that's perfect. That's perfect. Well, we know we got Rick right. It's kind of hard to mess that up. You'd be amazed. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I should grab like some, some some French pronunciation. No, it's Riche. <laughs> I I actually knew a soldier. F A G was his name, and everybody tried all. all you could tell when the NCOs were being nice because they tried to put. Fag? And he's like, no, no, uh, it's, it's just fag. And he looks so sad. I I might actively, like, legally change my name if that was it. <laughs> like, I might just go for, I don't know, Smith. <laughs> well, you know, then you could join the Brotherhood of Smith. I of could. There are thousands. <laughs> <laughs> they are Legion. They are Bob. But we're not here to talk about Bob. We're here to talk about Rick. So, Rick, can you introduce yourself? Sure. Well, first of all, thanks for having me on, guys, and uh, mad respect for your service. Uh, my name is Rick Gualtieri, and I am uh, primarily a horror comedy writer. I've been doing this for, God, about 10 years now, uh, professionally. I have about 30, 30 novels out there. Um, just a few. Yeah, just a few. I, I like, you know something, once, once you hit about 20, 25, you just stop counting and just say a lot. <laughs> <laughs> but as I said, I, I'm, I'm Technically, I guess multi-genre horror comedy is probably my big thing. I have a couple straight horror. I have a couple fantasy books out there. I have a couple risque stuff under a Ooh. pen name because uh, some sometimes you just got to get raunchy and just get those words out there. <laughs> Doctor Chuck Tingle. <clears throat> Sorry. <laughs> oh, I wish I wish, wish I was Chuck. Yeah, Jr. is on a quest to find Chuck Chuck Tingle or convince people he. So so, well, first off, I, I have the KDP Rocket program, so I can see how well they sell and don't in um, in the Amazon store, and they don't sell, and they're just so much of a gimmick that I, I do have a speculation that maybe somebody wrote an algorithm and an AI writes those. They've had AIs write knitting patterns. They've had AIs write poetry before uh, and news articles. So, I mean, sometimes it's comical, but given the nature of those stories, it would it would work. So... I love the fact that they're so short, so he can like just churn them out like one after the other. Like, I, I write long crap. My stuff is all like a hundred thousand words plus, and that takes a while. Yeah, but I mean, if they're not selling, <laughs> like it just doesn't appear that they're selling. So if you're doing it just for the gimmick on the cover, like it just I don't know. That's why I speculate maybe, maybe it's a robot doing it as a fun hobby. I mean, that's a lot of words to crank out for a hobby, dude. Have you seen how hard I work for my hobbies? True. Yeah. All right. Well, maybe it is just a fun hobby for somebody, and it's like a retired nun somewhere in Nebraska. And, and here's the thing: I mean, something's working because we all know Chuck's name. This is very true. 
All right. The next part of the introduction, dear listener, is how we found in uh, found the guest. So we ran out of our buffer waiting for DragonCon to announce the nominees because every year we do the interview of the nominees. Uh, so we tried to stay flexible right around this time of year. Um, Doc can tell you why they ran late making that announcement. But uh, because we were behind, I had to scramble to find a guest because we're recording this on Sunday and airing it on Monday and we have no buffer. That'll be a fun couple of weeks. Uh, so I reached out to John Hartness because he's a very nice guy, and I know he has Falstaff Publishing, and we haven't done his style of books very much, so it would be something new. And I said, hey, do you have anybody who can fill in a pinch? And I thought he would give me a new author who was hungry for press and be willing to be flexible because this was a last-minute thing. Uh, and he gave us Rick instead, who's written 35 books. So I guess you're not new. So I don't know. The rest is history. What about you, Doc? Well, no, well- uh, same way. I was going to just say we plumbed the depths of my Rolodex. That too. And uh, shook it until something fell out. And uh, I'm sure some of our listeners are old enough to know what a Rolodex is. I remember. <laughs> I think I actually have like a legit one somewhere. I collect odd things. But um, like JR. <laughs> Ouch. You wound me, madam. You wound me. So instead of a young, hungry writer, you got an old, fat one here. So... <laughs> We don't hey, <laughs> you know that's that's a sign of success in the in the Renaissance. It was a sign that it was an attractive quality because it meant that you were flush and and able to care for yourself and others. Yep, and so here and, and these days it just means I'm too lazy to go down and use my weights. <laughs> At least you have them. I used to use my son as my weight. Now he's a little heavy, <laughs> and he wiggles too much. Yeah, that would do it. Wiggling, I mean. Well, I mean, he already fell off the playground equipment at school, <laughs> broke his arm, so we should be gentle to him. Apparently, he's breakable. Yeah. I don't think he knew it until that moment, though. I mean, but did he learn to fly? No, he learned that he has to make better saving throws. <laughs> True. <laughs> Especially against gravity. Yeah, that would do so, it. So, now that we've covered how we've met this wonderful, illustrious author religion very tricky question here and i am polytheistic so we will be going through both religions we have star wars stargate or battlestar galactica well i'm probably gonna i'm probably gonna like date myself here but i'm gonna say i'm assuming you're not talking about the original battlestar galactica i love the original you I can like say both. the original i'm not sure jr's watched it but i love i have it. watched both you heathen I have even watched the 1982-84 version where they were on Earth. Yeah, I even watched the. I'm a conclusionist. um, I had to watch all of them. Me too. I have watched the Stargate uh, BSG crossover event known as Stargate Universe as well and loved it. So, yeah, how's that? Winning. I mean, it's a little bit more Voyager, but okay. Yeah, Voyager Uh, Star Trek, and we don't like the Star Treks. Star Trek. I love the Star Trek. It's too communistic, utopian future, and I just don't have that much faith in humanity. But you need to watch Deep Space Nine. Nine. Deep, Is that the exactly. one with um, Cisco, the the captain with the emissary? Yes. Okay. Cece Akeke told me that one was worth watching, and I I would change my tune on Star Trek if I watched it. So good. I love it so much. Amazing. My I love middle, He's my middle son's middle Bones name is Avery after Avery Book Brooks. Nice. That's how much I love that. I totally I know, understand. I know the only thing I know about Deep Space Nine, other than the captain, because he stands out in the the field of, of Star Trek captains, is that he's the character who towed off Jean Luc Picard. So yes, 
I Dax is amazing. I can go on and on. I love Dax. Go. I wanted to be Dax for. I tell you what, we will do, dear listener. We will do. I will. We will watch the first couple episodes, and we will do a review panel as one of the things. I know it's dated, so don't worry about spoilers because it's your fault if you don't know. But uh, (laughs) we will will do a review episode of uh, Deep Space Nine. I will break her heart to watch it again. So on to the question. You know, as much as probably half of the canon material is heretical, um, I I got to go with Star Wars because it's kind of like the Catholic Church. As many things about it that are distasteful, everybody knows about it and it's there. It's there in your face. Whereas like Stargate, once it's like kind of off the air, it's a little bit, you know, a little bit out of mind. To go with that analogy, it's the Catholic Church and every major Christian denomination has been a rift or a break off of the Catholic Church. Yeah. Yeah. And Battlestar Galactica, I, I, I love the crap out of the new one, um, and the old one too. But the new one, that last episode, it's almost like it's almost like it, it erased it from my from my like you know from my memory. <laughs> so, so yeah, the, gotta go with Star Wars. The Stargate, or excuse me, the the new BSG. Like most of the time, when they change uh, ethnicity and gender just to check boxes, I don't really like it. I have no problem with those kind of characters, but when it feels like you're checking boxes, then it just feels cheap. When they did it with Battlestar Galactica with Starbuck, it actually made the connection to that character in the family, the Adama family, actually make sense because you add that romantic element to the deceased brother. I know that's probably a spoiler too, people. I'm sorry. It was 1970-something, all right? Um, like that that actually made that pop a little bit more for me. So I actually liked some of those changes they did oh, oh, with definitely. the new iteration. I mean, I mean, the original Starbuck was basically just like, you know, hey, I'm a good-looking guy, and I fly spaceships. You know, Kara Thrace was—I uh, mean, she, she was she was just all around badass. She was. She had a lot more depth to her character than the original Starbuck, to be honest. One hundred percent. So I didn't really like the original Starbuck as much. The funny picture is when the actor for the two Starbucks were drinking coffee with a cigar at an actual Starbucks restaurant or coffee shop that's been floating around the internet for years. I always laugh, but. Now you get to ask the next religion hey. question and see if he gets to stay. Princess Bride, Pan's Labyrinth, or Jumanji? I pretty much love anything Guillermo del, yeah, Guillermo del Toro, but I got to go with Princess Bride because yeah. it is a movie that 100% has everything. Yeah. I, I mean, Storm in the castle. <laughs> it's it, funny. It, it has action. It, like, you know, it has great characters. There was really nothing that movie does wrong. It has seeped so far into the cultural pop psyche. I still remember watching it with my my child the first time and him going, you all say these things all the time. You sound like the movie. And I'm, <laughs> the movie sounds like you. And I'm like, no, I'm not that funny. I'm cheating. I'm copying the movie. The, the funny scene was when they took the sword fight uh, with uh, the two main characters and they changed them uh, digitally with lightsabers, and they had them doing their duel with the noises and some of the spoofs that came off of that. Hilarious. Uh, so, as we've covered, we do both sci-fi and fantasy, but which was your first love? Was it sci-fi, fantasy, or for you, horror? Oh. Well, you know something? We've already taken a, taken a bit of a dump on Star Trek, and unfortunately, that was kind of my first love. <laughs> so it's I'll say... Okay. I'll say I'll My say sci-fi. first love was not that great either. I don't know when when you get I loved mean, by when you get loved husband? by William Shatner, it really does leave an impression. 
horror is horror is a very close second because I have uh, I have enjoyed scaring the crap out of myself for as long as possible. Something I have passed on to my kids because I I when they were first born I enjoyed scaring the crap out of them too. Well, see, my dad used to have me watch horror movies. We'd build a fort, we'd watch horror movies, and then he'd tickle me at the funny parts. So I have a really odd fear reaction, and I will just start suddenly laughing. Oh, that's. Did you a little messed up when you're in high school. Yeah, I, I used to just get yelled at. Again, my wife got my home, and I'd be there with my youngest, and he'd be like one and a half, and there'd be people getting their guts ripped out on on screen. I'd be like, "Well, uh, I was just flipping channels, and I just put this on." No, 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 no. I see. We were in Saudi Arabia. There was no just flipping channels, and it magically <laughs> appeared. It was Saturday morning in lieu of Saturday morning cartoons. It was. Did you guys read the scary stories um, to tell in the dark series that they did back when scholastic books used to be a thing? You remember those where they'd come to your school and they'd have those book fairs and they sold those. It was a black and white cover. I still remember it. It was a picture of a skeleton smoking like a cigar or pipe or something. Yeah, um, I remember what you're talking about. They did a, a reading rainbow one that was horror that scared the shit out of me for a long time. Take a look. It's in a book. Dude, I did not want to pick up a book at night for a while. It's yeah, awesome. I am. Um, I, I like that. They should bring Reading Rainbow back. But yeah, did you guys did you read those, Rick, when you were a kid too? Since you like, I'll, I'll probably say I, I either had the best parents or the most awful parents because when I started reading, um, I kind of skipped all the, like the kids' horror because I never really found that that scary. And I pretty much remember my first horror book was a Stephen King novel. Oh, okay. Uh, I read that in like the fourth or fifth grade. The the it. But I didn't find it that scary. Mostly I read it because my teacher said it was too old for me. So I was just like thumbing <laughs> my nose at authority. Well, I, I can dig that. My uh, first, I would say probably the scariest movie, a book I've ever read was not actually meant supposed to be as a horror novel. Was which it was uh, Larry Niven's Fallen Angels. Hmm. Why was it, that scary? Um, it is set in a future world where the world is turning cold. People have kind of rejected the possibility that sci-fi uh, fantasy science is okay but fantasy has nothing additive so cons are banned you can't find fantasy books and the world is turning frozen and i hate the cold with a passion um i had cold weather injuries in basic training and i never forgave mother nature for them i guess i don't know I was also born in a desert in the South so, and lived in the South. I hate the cold and snow and ice. And when Georgia is cold and icy, as it is in this book, that's a problem. So I actually believe the but road is no cons. It's a world without any conventions, no fantasy authors. Fantasy's been banned. Wait, it was 2020. Uh -oh. Sorry, bad joke. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I think the road to hell is paved with snow. So, like, I'm totally with you against the I'm evil sure the weather. But... All right. This is November not the baby here. <laughs> oh. Okay. This so, is not the Seska therapy hour, so let's move on. <laughs> our fans like me better than you. Be nice. This is probably true. <laughs> it helps so we, that I'm a girl. We uh, probably we asked him what his first memory was, but what is it about speculative fiction writ large that you enjoy? I guess yeah, because it's well. You know, scaring the crap out of people I mean, is is awesome. I I would say it's because it can go anywhere. Um, I mean, there's really no rules to it, and I kind of like that because just 
genre fiction. And don't get me wrong, I love genre fiction. I write genre fiction, but uh, one of one of the downsides of, of any genre fiction, whether it's like books, movies, TV, is it's so freaking predictable most of the time, so formulaic. And you know what I like? I like to be surprised. I like when a when a story just takes a left turn, and I'm like, holy crap! I did not see that coming because it doesn't happen often. And speculative fiction for me is kind of like. There's no, there's not a lot of rules. So because of that, you have a better chance of seeing that left turn. And that's just a joy to me to like, you know, to, to run into something and be like, wow, I did not see where that was going. <laughs> Those are some of my absolute favorite books. I will agree yeah. with that completely. So how did your love of speculative fiction transition into you writing stories in this wild world? Um, well, I mean, I try, I, as I said, I, I write genre fiction, but I also try to like, you know, throw those tropes on their head, go take left turns. And I think that's what it is, is, uh, and that doesn't always make people happy. Don't get me wrong. Some people, they want, you know, they're, they're, they're that happy ending or they want you to follow the, like, you know, connect the dots or so. And I like to throw things. I like to throw curveballs in there. Uh, you know, sometimes I will kill the dog. <laughs> Um, sometimes, sometimes I will kill a major character off screen just to show you that, Hey, life goes on when the main character isn't there. Um, uh, I like throwing those curveballs. So I'd, I'd say that probably like, you know, gives me the thing that every so often I, I, I just like to throw something to the readers, which makes them just throw back one. I didn't see that coming. And two, damn you to hell. <laughs> so you get lots of hate mail. I take it. Um, not, you know, something considering I write horror comedy, I kind of set myself up for the hate mail. Like, I think though the fans kind of expect that yes. you know it's like a george r. r martin fan they expect that any character they live love will die if they don't expect it then why have they read past book two yeah. the end the, the final book in one of my series uh the epilogue is actually called the hate mail inducing epilogue so it's kind of like yes i'm gonna take you off here bring it <laughs> <laughs> okay so uh, many authors let their um, real life experiences influence the kind of stories they tell. So were there any formative uh, moments that shaped you as a storyteller? Um, I've been a gamer for uh, since uh, since high school. And yeah, some of my a lot of my uh, my my D&D misadventures have made it into my books. Um, uh, I mean, outside of D&D, it's really just, uh, you know, the things I do with my friends, the stupid things we say to each other. Um, sometimes people would just say something just whether it's an insult or not, and it'll just stick with me. I'll be like, I got to use that. Um, I mean, life, life in a sense is like speculative fiction because, you know, you never know what's happening next. And so if, if, if it's something that sticks with me, then it's probably something that's worth sharing. So do you have a preferred character class that you play? I am, I'm usually bigger on martial character, martial characters than spellcasters. Um, I, I think partially because, well, I'm lazy and, uh, you know, fighter or barbarian types tend to be easier. They don't have to have like 15 pages of, uh, of character sheet, which is. Now, did nice. that preference turn into your books, carry over in your writing? Yes. Because like so many people say in urban fantasy, their characters are spell, their main characters are spellcasters, witches, wizards and stuff. My main characters tend to be the people who have to get up close and punch you in the face. So, I was expecting you to say like uh, necromancer or something, given that you write horror. Uh, yeah. yeah, I cause I cause, uh, I play to have fun, and which tends to sometimes piss off my my real life playing buddies. Um, <laughs> but I, I like being a necromancer is fun. But I find that sometimes just taking a normal character class, 
um, and just kind of messing around with them. That's that's far more fun than just than just coming with somebody who kind of like you know their their template is automatically darker. So fair enough. All right, Doc, you get to ask your favorite questions. Oh wait, yes, the writing ones. Transitioning away from writing. Have you had any fan art or have any of your characters yet? Fan art or cosplay for those that missed the glitch. Oh, sorry. I, I'm glitchy today, apparently. Yeah, I've, I've got, definitely gotten some fan art. And I've actually, uh, I haven't seen, actually, I've gotten photos from it. I haven't actually seen it in person, but I have had a few people, uh, uh, probably by, my biggest selling series is called The Tome of Bill. And it's about uh, a nerdy vampire who's just a complete jackass. People don't like him. The other vampires are too cool for him. And I have had a few people kind of like, you know, do the, you know, okay, you know, do the nerdy, nerdy look, pocket protector, fangs in the mouth uh, thing. And uh, that that's just the most, one, I mean, it's kind of an easy cosplay, I think. But two, it's just uh, awesome when somebody chooses to do that and say, you know, I could have gone as anybody. I could have gone as Deadpool to this thing, but I chose your character. I think that is a very big compliment always. So even if it's a simple one, it's still a huge compliment. Has anybody asked you for your autograph outside of a book signing or a convention? I'm coming off of one from just about a week and a half ago. Really? So... I went to I was part I went to Authors and Dragons Con. Authors and Dragons is a yes. podcast I'm part of. Um, so we were throwing our own convention, and you myself looked like you had too much fun. Oh, we did have too much fun. I'm totally jealous. Next year, <laughs> I'm holding you to that. Um, but anyway, myself and Drew Hayes, one of the other members, we had gone out for breakfast one morning, and I'm sitting there. I'm wearing one of my one of my Bill the Vampire T-shirts, and somebody comes up to comes up and says, "Oh, Toma Bill." And I thought they were. For, I thought they were there for the con. So I immediately just started giving them a little attitude. I was like, "Yeah, okay, you know, you're here for A and D con. That's cool. What's A and D con?" And then he's ah. like, "He's like, have you read the series?" I'm like, "Uh, yeah." Well, I talked to the author once on Facebook, and suddenly I'm like, "Oh God, I got to ramp down being a dick. This guy is actually for real." <laughs> and like, I, I was like, "Okay," I was like, "Okay, look back up here." Uh, I kind of am the author, and it was just. Just the most random, it was just hilarious that it was a block <laughs> away from where we were doing this convention. I just randomly ran into like somebody who just recognized the t-shirt and it was just the most awesome experience. And I feel bad because like I said, I was automatically just like goofing with the guy thinking, thinking oh yeah, okay, you're here for the good, you're here to like see us and stuff. Uh, but uh, yeah, that was, that was just great. That's, awesome. that, that's sort of who you are being the goofball. So if you had been straight laced and be like, oh, see here, chip, chip, cheerio. They might not think it was really you, right? So, like, well, he got yeah. the full experience. So, I would bet he's happy. Oh, it was great, and it's also great because uh, a couple of years back, my wife and I we, we we took our kids down to like Bush Gardens at Kings Dominion in Virginia, and she has just like done her hair, like you know, it was like multi-hued color, and I was wearing my Bill shirts, and she was like, you know, something more people are gonna reckon are gonna like say mention my hair than your shirts, and I was like, it's a bet, and man, she just completely utterly wrecked me on that one. <laughs> yeah. So small bit of a revenge, but she wasn't there with her with her, with her hair, so that might have worked against me anyway. <laughs> so, what would be your funniest fan interaction since you've started writing? Okay, so at the first A and D con, which was in twenty twenty, I guess eighteen something, yeah, <laughs> or was it twenty? No, twenty nineteen, and mm -hmm. also a bit at this last one. Uh, just have just seeing people like you know staring across the room at like you know at, at us and then realizing that they were too nervous to come up and say hi 
that just blowed my mind. It was like, it was like, hey, come over and hang with us. And then you like kind of see them turn white, and it's like, did we say something wrong? <laughs> and then you realize that like that they're nervous to see somebody like me, which I'm like, I I I can't imagine. <laughs> So that's just, that's, it's awesome, but it's also they just were, weird. Um, they're yeah. probably terrified of turning into a blathering idiot, which I use that phrase because I met some, one of my favorite authors and I looked at my friend, she's like, go talk to them. And I'm like, no, I'll turn into a blathering idiot. I know. You guys are so, listening to me now. I'm already a blathering idiot. You know, I, I, that's pretty much my, <laughs> like, you know, that's pretty much my normal state of being. <laughs> I totally understand i'm the same way but um can you you mentioned earlier you have a rather deep back catalog mm -hmm. can you give us like your highlight reel of either your series name or because are they mostly series or are they just independent worlds titles so i, I kind of do both but i tend to favor more series so my biggest okay. series is called the tome of bill and mm -hmm. as i said it's uh it's about a uh you know you know, as I call him, a dateless dork who winds up in the wrong place at the wrong time, gets turned into a vampire, and uh, you know he just want, kind of winds up surviving by the skin of his teeth. And uh, the well, this you probably can't see because of that, because of the <laughs> camera. But I'm wearing a T-shirt right now for Bill of the Dead. Bill of the Dead is actually the sequel series, so Toma Bill is a full series. It's complete. Uh, Bill of the Dead picks up five years after that, so obviously in the same world. Mm -hmm. um, those are probably my two biggest series if we step outside that world to, uh, to elsewhere um i have a series called the hybrid of high moon which is uh, about this girl who's uh whose mother is a witch and father's a werewolf and uh unfortunately <laughs> witches and werewolves in these worlds kind of hate each other so uh it doesn't really work out well for her <laughs> and i just finished another i just finished a trilogy uh it's uh, tales of the crypto hunter so this is pure horror um steps away from fantasy more to, towards the world of uh i guess uh creature rampages more scientific but uh the, the the books in there are bigfoot hunters which name suggests bigfoot uh devil hunters which is the team going up against the jersey devil and then uh, the final book is kraken hunters uh, which is kind of a kind of a deep sea uh meg slash jaws type uh type adventure oh great so if well, i ever read that i definitely don't want to go on a boat i had somebody uh, i had somebody recently read bigfoot hunters before they went camping and uh they, they were like yeah now I don't think I'm going to go outside my tent. And I was like, you know, that's the best compliment you could pay me. <laughs> so you write what would, I don't know, urban horror, urban fantasy sort of genre where basically. Well, most horror is urban, unless it's set period. Well, I mean, with the vampire part in the werewolf. Ah, so, okay. so you're writing those sort of fantastical creatures in the modern world. So do you address the idea of how they would stay secret? So that's the one thing. Like I used to watch the Highlander series where it's the immortals, right? Mm -hmm. And the one thing I never understood is how in the modern age they managed to keep their identity secret because eventually, you know, you get found out, right? Your fingerprints mm -hmm. match. You know, we've been doing fingerprints since the early 90s at least. Uh, so how do you address that in your world where, you know, they in theory would want to stay hidden, but modern technology is going to make that almost impossible? Well, that's kind of a big theme in the to in the Toma Bill uh, books. Um and it just turns out that the like you know it really comes down to the vampire nation is powerful enough to have their fingers in you know everyday government and such so the higher ups of human society they know about this stuff but it doesn't filter down it's kind of like top secret sort of things um you know spo spoiler for those of you reading reading the series but one of the things it turns out is the entire government of switzerland is actually run by by vampires 
Nice. So the world makes sense now. A little bit different in my hybrid of high moon series. That's more that that takes place more in Pennsylvania. And the idea is a lot of the stuff that happens is more on the smaller scale. So it's more in a rural setting. So it's a little easier for that to like to stay hidden because they're kind of like they kind of shy away from outsiders. Um, you know, anybody who kind of steps into the middle of their conflict, they get their minds blanked or horribly murdered, you know, whatever, whatever happens first. Whatever floats their boat. Yeah. And I mean that crypto hunter one I mentioned. Uh, that's kind of actually the gist of the story is that there's a team behind the scenes. They work for the Department of Agriculture. Um, they, they jokingly call themselves the Department of Cryptid Containment. <laughs> and their job is these a lot of these uh, cryptids are they're 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 prehistoric survivors. They're they're highly endangered. And well, the, the government realizes that the best way to kind of keep them uh, from going extinct is that is to just deny their existence. So this team is essentially sent to, to like, you know, sent in to clean up whenever, say, mankind and like, you know, angry Sasquatches cross path and there's a bloodbath. They're essentially cleaners, if you will. Interesting. All right. And so while all of that sounds fascinating, today we're here to talk about The Legend of Jimmy Headshot, one of your shingles series of novels. So where did the premise uh, for this universe come from? How did you come up with the idea for the series? Was it psychedelics? Too much time with Hartness? Uh, <laughs> we too bored too much time with John Hartness? A, a, little, a little bit of all the above. Um, <laughs> I mean, this this is probably the brainchild of Robert Bevan, who's also on the Authors and Dragons uh, podcast. But it really came down to that a lot of us grew up reading Goose, Goosebumps. And Shingles is kind of like our way of saying, well, what if the kids who grew up reading Goosebumps are now adults but they want something a little more visceral, a little more awful. You know, the, the, these people have grown up to like, they've grown up with horror. So now they kind of have grown up to just laugh at things that most people are like, oh my God, you're a terrible person. So we're kind of like, shing shingles is what you, or I'm sorry, goosebumps is what you get when you're a kid. But when you're an adult, you get shingles. <laughs> so that's yeah. kind of where, where that came, came up with is, uh, and shingles is, is, is kind of our version of awful speculative fiction where we take, uh, where we take tropes and we just, we just run wild with them. Um, so, for example, one of, one of my stories is, is called Gary's Children, and it is eventually, it's kind of a traditional horror story, except, you know, a person goes in, gets, goes into, like, you know, a, a strange uh, pawn shop, winds, winds up with, a, with a, uh, a cursed item, except in this case, he winds up with a cursed uh, fleshlight. Oh. So... Like I said, it, it kind of it kind of takes uh, those stories and just puts a little bit of an of an awful twist on them, um, but uh, it's all it's all done in good fun. It's all meant to be like you know like humorous, like you know just quick reads where you can like sit back and just like have a good laugh, um, but they're definitely not kid friendly. <laughs> all right, well, this is the part of the introduction or introduction. <laughs> this is part of the interview where we talk about your glorious cover, and I really like this one so. Where did you get the uh, the inspiration for this glorious piece of artwork? All right, so we lucked out with uh, with Authors Dragons early on in that uh, one of the one of our listeners, his name is John Luther Davis, and uh, he was uh, he was a tattoo artist, and he did really good work, and he started sending us fan art, and it was really good. Um, so we started talking to this guy and being like, "Well, hey, can you can we maybe commission some stuff from you?" And when we started doing the Shingles series, we reached out to him and said, "Hey, you know, would you be interested in doing this?" Because we we're kind of looking for a, a goosebumps feel to these, to these. Um, and he fortunately said yes. 
so he's been doing these and uh typically when i work with him you know i come to him with an idea i'm like here's what the story's about here's what i'm looking for and we kind of go back and forth a little bit and it's kind of winds up being kind of a, a a meld of like you know what i'm thinking versus like you know his artistic ability uh and i mean it's it's kind of a it's kind of a really good partnership yeah i mean he came up with this it was basically this uh this this arrogant sob of a of a of a kid in his battle gear with his uh with his uh, with his wep main weapon from the book sitting atop a pile of uh, corpses. Okay. Um, so, what would the thirty second elevator pitch for this series or for this book specifically, which is um, the Legend of Jimmy Headshot? What would his thirty second elevator pitch be? The The Walking Dead meets uh, meets Stand by Me. <laughs> uh, so basically, it is a uh, it is the story of a twelve year old gamer kid who's a little bit of a sociopath, and when the end of the world comes, everybody's in a panic except for him because he's been waiting for it to happen. <laughs> so this is the the perfect part to say because well, we don't normally do this one. Uh, I read a lot of blurbs in prepping for the show. It's one of the things I spend a lot of time doing to get these questions. And as we designed it, and it's not often that a blurb, even when they're trying to be funny, I can see the setup. It's probably the curse of doing this for, you know, for, for fun and profit. Uh, but when I read your blurb, I actually laughed. I snorted some coffee out of my nose. So, by the way, that'll be a $1.50 for that coffee uh, from Dunkin' Donuts that you owe me back. Um, but uh, could you read that to the show or to the listeners? I'll, I'll send you my PayPal address list I'm later. pretty sure it cleaned out your sinuses, though. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Let me, let me see if I can put on my announcer voice. <clears throat> Jimmy Perkins was your average 12-year-old sociopath. He played sports, despised his little sister, and eagerly awaited the day when society finally crashed and burned. Now, the zombie apocalypse is upon us. The dead have risen from their graves to feed upon the flesh of the living, and Jimmy couldn't be happier about it. So much for school chores and mowing the lawn, or mowing the lawn. He's here to kick ass and take names, and woe be it to anyone who dares tell him he's up past his bedtime. I approve. This is what made me laugh. I had to mute it so I didn't laugh again. Doc, the next question is yours. Try to top that. Huh? Huh? JR, I top you all the time. That just sounded wrong. Okay. Anyways, what's. I wasn't going to say anything, so we'll just move on and pretend that never happened. Uh, I'm what's sure I can. Secondary character, Shushdare. What secondary characters really stand out to you in this book that you want to talk to us about? Okay, so the main character obviously is uh, this guy, this kid who calls himself Jimmy Headshot. It's his gamer ID. I would say the secondary character is his sister, Darlene. Uh, she's a seven-year-old kid. He despises her. He can't stand her. He keeps like keeps like like daydreaming about like you know killing her. Uh, basically, he just keeps her alive because he's like, one day I'll need a distraction, and she'll be the she'll be the perfect meat shield. Um, <laughs> And, and, relate to that. And, Anyone with siblings can relate to that. And the yeah. fun thing about this is, like, I, when you're in Jimmy's head, he talks like he's like this thirty-year-old, like you know, like hitman or so. But when he interacts with Darlene, their 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 discourse just becomes like brother and sister, where he's like talking talking to his parents, giving them all this crap, and then his like sister's like, hmm, "This is kind of gross." Yeah, you're gross. <laughs> all right, so. So we're going to have to do this a little bit out of order because... No, uh, no, no. Just, 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 it's my questions. I know what I'm doing, sort of. All right. So, but talking about the story and one of the questions I did kind of gloss over 
is you talked about the series is special because you pull out and you kind of play with the tropes. But what tropes did you use in your tropealicious story this time? Okay. So I've always wanted to write a, a zombie story. Um, I think I think anybody who's written ever written horror wants to do a zombie story once in a while, but I wanted to make it my own. And I mean, a lot of people have done okay. You know, we, we we've all seen like the the people who are too stupid to live in the zombie apocalypse. Um, I think we've also seen that trope turn on its head, where it's like, hey, I'm I'm a geek and I know all and I, and I know all about it. You know, now the zombie apocalypse is here, and I wanted to, and I was like, okay, who do I want my main character to be? And I was thinking about. You know, some of the kids you see on Xbox Live who like, you know, who just crush it, like, you know, at Call of Duty or whatever. And then they just like, you know, completely trash talk. You know, I was like, what about a kid like this? A kid who just spends all his time online gaming, you know? And then I was like, okay, how do I make him more awful though? And then I was like, yeah, man, let's let's make this kid a bit of a, a bit of a psycho. Um, you know, somebody who's just looking forward to the carnage to come. Uh, so it's really kind of... Uh, so in some ways, you know, he is self-aware about the, zomb the zombie uh, genre. So he talks about it. But a lot of the things he talks about sometimes wind up kind of like getting turned on their head. Like at one point, he's like, he's like, you know, I'm curious what caused the zombie apocalypse. But that's the crap for the that's the crap for the scientists and the eggheads and the nerds to worry about. I'm just here to like I'm just here to like, you know, you know kick ass and take names. And then later on, he like figures out actually what caused the, the apocalypse. And he's like, well, damn. I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> so that that was kind of that was kind of that was kind of fun. Um yeah, it, it was really just taking a zombie a zombie apocalypse story and trying to put my own uh, my own unique spin on it, trying to make it my own. They are. All right, so let's be honest, it's a little bit of therapy hour JR and Saska, but is Jimmy you? Is there anything you want to tell us about? No, Jimmy. Jimmy is actually one of those. He's one of those interesting characters in that, uh, like, like when 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 we write, we always want to have our characters have some have some redeeming quality that, like, you know, that draws people to them. Yeah, Jimmy is meant to be entirely awful, and I've gotten <laughs> I've gotten that in some of my reviews where people are like, I don't like this kid. You're not supposed to like him. He's actually supposed to be a terrible person. So. So yeah, I, I would say I like to think I'm not a terrible person. I mean, I might be when I'm playing an online game, but uh, but yeah, J Jimmy is just meant to be—he's meant to be essentially every parent's nightmare. Okay, so uh, we've talked. That about, sounds very accurate. So we've talked about the main character and the sort of secondary character and the sister, but are there any bad guys that he has to fight without giving us spoilers? Oh sure, I mean obviously there's uh, there's the undead and the undead come in multiple different flavors in this. Uh, you know, not not to give spoilers, but not all of them are human. Um, and there's also there's also the human element, and he even mentions that like you know, like one one of the things he's been on the lookout for is that eventually I'm going to run into people, and those people are going to be terrible because they've been living throughout the apocalypse, and it's going to be a case of you know kill or be killed. So yes, he does he does run into some uh, to some awful individuals, but. In some ways, I, I can't even call Jimmy like you know the uh, an antihero. He's kind of more. It's it's almost like you know, a a story kind of centered on a villain with very few redeeming values. 
Okay, so you did a lot of horrible things uh, through your horror novel, and I guess this would be true of every horror author, but you did a lot of awful things to Jimmy and, and crew. So how do you think you would fare if you met him in the dark alley? Um, is he going to eat your lunch, or do you have like the reach because you're an adult and you're going to clobber him? I have the reach as an adult, but like I'm, I'm a parent, so I, I, I'd, I'd probably pull my punches if, you know, if it's a kid and underestimate him. And, and Jimmy, Jimmy fights dirty. He's not, he's not afraid to like, you know, to, uh, um, he's not afraid to use his environment. Like, you know, he, he's the type who'd be like, you know, you know, oh, mister, you hurt me. And then like, and then break a bottle and like rub your face in the gra in the broken glass. <laughs> so I would be a little afraid to meet Jimmy because uh, Jimmy doesn't have any Fs to give. <laughs> All right. That that's is, fair. that's fair. Angry so Chihuahuas will one day kill people, I swear. Yes. So finally, what can you tell us about the Shingles universe? In many of the series, the worlds where the stories are told as much, are as much of a character as the protagonist and antagonist. So what can we expect from the expansive world of the Shingles universe? We have we have a couple of a couple of places that uh, locations and such that uh, that appear in like across the novels and such. Um, but in, in similar to like, you know, the Goosebumps series, each nor each novel is standalone. Um, there's five of us writing these novels, and we kind of each put our spin on it. Um, but we do kind of, uh, we do kind of occasionally, like you know, like dip into like you know, the other stories. Um, I know uh, one of one of Steve Weatherell's stories, which is about uh, an, an, I won't say an evil mannequin, more about a racist mannequin. <laughs> and uh, you know, I went into there and I was like, hey, you might you mind if I kind of create his sister for another story? So. It's a share. It's a shared world, but it's a very loosely shared world. In that, I think each of us has destroyed the, this world in our own way. Um, but we do have some common elements where they show up, and it's like, why, why do people keep winding up at this sex shop? For example, I'm going to blame Hartness for that. Oddly enough, uh, that that is that is that is a Robert uh, Robert Bevan thing. Um, he kind of he he did the first book in the series because so he kind of set the stage for the awful, and uh, the rest of us kind of kind of fell in line with it. Oh, okay. We'll but John has it. John has certainly contributed. Don't uh, don't let him <laughs> off the hook. Never, so, never. The Legend of Jimmy Headshot is clearly part of a series. I know because it says so on Amazon. There are currently thirty six books out in this series. So, is the story of the Shingles universe done? Will be more from these. Um, this setting and this series? Well, there's only 36. There's actually about more like 46 books in the series because uh, after Amazon system, every so often stops. Well, they changed the way they do series recently. Mm -hmm. And it used to be that uh, if multiple authors were writing in a series, you just would put the series name in the title and it would work. But their new tool does not work across multiple authors unless we write in and do it. And well, sometimes we get lazy. So there's actually more like 46 books. The series is uh, continuing. It's still ongoing. We release uh, currently one one a month. Wow. Yeah. And we've actually added some other authors to it. Uh, as we've expanded our podcast, um, we we now have, I believe, uh, instead of five, we have seven authors contributing to uh, to Shingles. Oh, wow. So, that uh, is a lot. Yeah. So what's next is, I would just say, more. you know, keep, 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 keep an eye out. They release on the first of each month. Uh, you know, we had one at the beginning of August. We'll have another at the beginning of September. I think August was written by Ari Carr, who's uh, I actually work with as she a so author. Yes, she is. She is. Uh, she is a wonderful person, uh, and actually, one of my Toma Bill spinoffs we co-write together. Aw. 
She's really awesome. I, I need to read her stuff, but I have talked with her a bunch and she's awesome. So All right, uh, it's on you. So I don't know if this will be a really interesting answer. Um, given that every literary universe has its own internally consistent rules of science, technology, and or magic, what can we expect from the books? And is it going to be consistent throughout? Or is it just more like uh, the Tales from the Crypt, where everything's a little different by that specific episode? It is 100% Tales from the Crypt. Okay. Um, as I said, it's a very loose, it's a very loose world. Um, each of us, I think, has destroyed that world a couple times um, in different <laughs> ways. So depending on which where you're going to hit, like J Jimmy Headshot, it's 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 more like sci-fi zombies than uh, than supernatural zombies. Whereas other uh, other other stories have more of a supernatural aspect. Sure. So it, the, the consistency is that uh, is that we're trying to be entertaining. All of these, though, can be considered standalone. So, so for example, if you wanted to start at book 40, you can very well start at book 40, um, and it's not going to hurt anything because these are all standalone stories. Okay. Okay. Are they in audio? Yes. Um, so the Shingle stories are re relatively short. They're all about 100 pages each. So we release the audio as uh, collections. Um so I think we're up to six audio collections uh, so far. Each of them has uh, six books in them. Um, so that's uh, so you get about maybe twelve hours of audio per uh, per collection. And uh, yeah, at this point, I think we are up to about thirty six, and uh, I think we're working on audio seven now. Oh wow! Um, I think I'm I'm not I'm not in the the, the next one, so uh, so I haven't really paid as much attention as I should. But uh, yeah, t typically we grab six, we, we bundle them up, we send them out there, and uh, that's what they are in audio. And uh, we have, so, and considering what these stories are about, we have some tremendous talent who uh, who are doing the voiceovers. Uh, we have Cassandra Miles and uh, Cal Wembley, and uh, these are both award winning uh, award winning narrators. And uh, the, the fact that we have them reading these shingle stories, which, uh, once again, you know, I, I mentioned before, like a story about a, a haunted sex toy is is just the most hilarious thing on the planet. Well, it is probably also just that they're very different, which may have been the thing that attracted them. Because I've talked to audio narrators and they're like, I can only do it. They, one of them said his favorite story is when time was when an author actually emailed them and said, what do you think? And he goes... Do any of these have accents? Because I wouldn't want accents to, for them. And then he was like, sure. And he's like, okay, so I got to make, and he goes, I got to make up all the accents. It was really fun. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know something? I mean, I, I spent like 20 years in corporate America. And if I learned any lessons, is that one of those, when you're working with a subject matter expert, you, you kind of respect them as a, as a subject matter expert. Um, if I'm working with, with a narrator who's done a lot of books and they're like, you know something? I, I know what you're going for here, but why don't we try something a little bit different? I mean, if it's going to break the story, that's one thing. But if it's something new and and, and I think about it, I'm like, oh, they actually have a good point. I, I want to hear that feedback. Yeah, well, the author in question also said that he ended up adding accents into his descriptors now in books. So it changed how he wrote some. Oh, yeah. But um, we've talked about some about how you've created different crypt creatures for your universes how do you go about doing that are they inspired by near nightmares nature just 
you really want it to do X because you think it would be funny for the story? A little bit of the above. I mean, uh, I pay attention to my nightmares. I actually kind of, my, my nightmares, I don't really find scary so much as I wake up. I'm like, oh, oh that's kind of cool. Uh, which probably doesn't say anything good about me. But Are they but, really nightmares then? Yeah, that's I true. Mean, for you, for me, they might be a nightmare. Yeah, I, I, I will say the whole concept of like, if you die in your dream, you die in real life is complete BS because I have died in my dreams a whole lot of times. <laughs> Uh, that is fair yeah. I, I would say a, a little bit of everything I mean one of my books um, it's the third book in the Tome of Bill it's called The Morning Woods and, and the, the book is essentially built around this one joke that I just found funny <laughs> it's like a hundred thousand words that really can be condensed to this guy really found the concept of vampires versus Sasquatch to be hilarious <laughs> so we've talked a bunch about this book even though it's not the first in the shingle series which we normally focus on the first in the series because you're doing something really cool and special with this book um care to tell us about it well yeah so uh, a couple months back we got lucky in that uh we we met up well we reached out to and uh and kind of uh kind of established a relationship with um the director behind uh, behind the movie Carousel. Um, it's, it's a low-budget cult movie, but it is utterly hilarious, bloody, all sorts. Of, it's everything like you know I would want in a movie. And uh, we got to talking with with him, and uh, we we were joking, saying, "Well, hey, cool. what, what if, what if so we came we're, up?" We're talking movie. Yes. Are we talking movie or TV series? Oh, we are talking. We are talking movie. So uh, um, we've come up with a script that uh, that combines uh, five of the Shingles books into uh, we mentioned before, kind of a, a Tales from the Crypt connected anthology, um, nice. which is kind of a kind of a core group uh, telling these stories. And uh, we've launched an Indiegogo to uh, to fund it. So it's kind of a kind of a dream come true. We have a, we have a guy who like you know who who knows how to direct movies. Uh, you know, it's not just a fly by night. Uh, somebody who said, "Hey, I have a camcorder." This guy knows awesome. what, knows what he's doing. Um, and it kind of, kind of is gives us that dream of authordom, which is, you know, seeing something uh, something we've written come to life on uh, on the big screen. That is really awesome. Uh, so I have only ever backed an Indiegogo, and it was a comic. So can you give us an idea of what backers can expect in the way of prizes? Is that what they get? Prizes, rewards? Uh, rewards. Cookies? I'd say I'd say rewards. So, I mean, at, at the lower tiers, you know, we, we're we giving away digital copies in a movie, um, DVDs, Blu-ray, um, you know, mentions at mentions in the crits, such like that. Um, then as you move a little further up, that's where we get kind of the fun stuff. Um, we, we have like personalized messages from characters in the movie, uh, you know, personalized stuff from the director. And then we get into probably, an, oh, oh, and you can also be an extra or a producer of the movie. But, oh, cool. My favorite is uh, is you can get some of the special props that we're building for the movie. Um, there's a scene. Uh, uh, I just had an image of special props with quotation marks around it. One hundred percent, because there is a scene where uh, where the characters um, have to def have to uh, basically barricade themselves and defend themselves in a sex shop and kind of uh, make do makeshift weapons with whatever's at hand. So, uh, so you can have, you can have one of those, one of those makeshift we weapon props as, oh, and signed, signed by the director, by the way, as uh, one of the tiers of the movie of supporting I'm this just, movie. 
I'm just picturing someone going out with a um, phallic object in their hand, beating the zombies, screaming, the power of Christ compels you. Oh, no, I'm picturing somebody going up to John Hartvis and going, here, the director signed it, but now I want you to sign it in the middle of a panel at Dragon Con or something. And you know something? I, I know John. John will probably like, hand me a Sharpie. <laughs> oh, no, John will probably have the Sharpie knowing him. That man has no shame. <laughs> Yeah, and, and honestly, I, I I can't say I would I would do any different, you know. Um, this, I mean, some somebody who backs this, hell hell yeah. I mean, if somebody comes up and hey, I backed your movie, can you can you you know? I, I know sign? for a fact I saw a picture of a baby getting autographed at uh, the Authors and Dragons Con. That was kind of me. <laughs> I didn't actually write on the baby. I would have <laughs> signed on the onesie. It's okay. <laughs> Wait, did you actually would've... write anything on the baby? No, no. <laughs> You no, know, but that was a great, very evil smile. I was very impressed. Oh, 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 trust me. I wanted to put a smile on my face that basically said, yes, I'm doing this and I'm enjoying it. It did. It did. But but you know something? I've seen, an, I've seen enough uh, Chosen One movies to know that doing that to a baby, that baby will grow up to be an adult and they will hunt me down. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. I, I don't want to be somebody. So I don't want to be somebody's like Darth Vader when I'm like 80 years old. So what is the um, what is the chance that this actually gets made? I know a lot of times uh, Seska has a lot of experience with this being a Pern fan. Things will get optioned, rights will get bought, nothing ever happens with it. Well, I mean, if we hit our, I mean, we're we're funding it as an independent production. So if we hit our funding, it will happen. Uh, I, I have to say, uh, Steve Radzinski, who's the director, as I said, he's directed several other movies. When we came to him with this with this script i'll be perfectly honest i thought he was going to come back to us and kind of just humor us and he came back with a whole game plan and he was like hey here's here's what i want here's let's talk about the cast let's talk about the budget let's talk about location like he had all of this stuff mapped out like he was ready to go tomorrow and it was just like like, like honestly he made us believe that this can happen so i That's will say that is a huge telling difference like jr and i were talking one time about the per when Pern got optioned again by Warner Brothers a few years ago, I'm like, it's not happening. And he goes, why do you say that? And I'm like, because the person has that they put in charge of the script has zero screen credits. And so, I mean, not to say it could have. I, I, I'm also, I'm a huge cynic of it at times, but um, that I'm, but I'm also the person, in some ways I'd rather see it not done than done wrong. Yeah, I, I would I would so, tend to agree, but I mean, uh, options by themselves don't really mean anything. They're basically yeah. uh, here, give pay us some money, and you can shop it around. But they're, they're really yeah. exciting. Yes, but they. So I'm really happy to hear that it sounds like you guys are really going to be going forward. And I do think also now it's a lot easier when you do something like Indiegogo and Kickstarter because several of those movies have gone on. So to being actually done, like I've been following the Elf Quest one. So what is your distribution plan with this then? Okay. Well, our distribution plan, um, once again, we're working with Steve because he's an independent filmmaker. He's, he's done this. Um, so he's been, uh, he's been giving us like, you know, tips on, okay, here, here are the movie festivals you want to go to. Here are the online streaming platforms you want to go, go at a movie like this. I mean, outside of like, you know, probably small screenings, uh, maybe at con conventions or like, you know, or festivals. Oh, I can see this going really yeah. well at Dragon Con. That would be kind of cool. I, I can't I can't say whether you're going to go really well or considering the content of the movie or really, really badly, but either way would be kind of amusing to watch. Uh, I think I know it would be good. 
but uh, this one, uh, this one, I, I can see going pretty much direct to streaming. That's uh, that's pretty much our distribution plan. Um, yeah, we just want to get it in front of as many eyeballs as uh, as as possible, um, and uh, you know, just we want people to go in there with the sense of okay, you know, this is horror, but I but we want people to come out of it laugh. We want people to come out of it a little bit horrified, but we also want people to laugh. Um, I mean. This is meant for a specific audience. This is meant for people who, uh, who will like you know go like go through like you know Amazon Prime Video at two in the morning, and just be able to be, able to be like this. Uh, this looks really sketchy, but I'm kind of interested anyway. That's so, out of our crowd. Are are we are you aiming for better than B-rated movie? Um, because bear in mind, for the longest time as a kid, I thought B-rated was where it was at. Because my mom, I agree. My this, mom's top three favorite, top five favorite movies are all of the Tremor movies. I'm gonna say that says a lot about what I grew we're, up. We're 100% going for, for for B movie with this, because you know you know the thing is I love B movies. There's only there's one so sin, movies. there's only one sin a B movie can make, and that's to be boring, and like having itself too um, seriously. Yeah, no, take itself too, too seriously. I mean, yeah, that could be bad, but once again, be dull. I mean, we I've watched the movies before where I'm like. This should be good, but nothing happens. And I can say this, you know, some people might turn this off in disgust pretty early on. Um, some people might walk away and be like, these are awful people. But you know something? Uh, if all goes according to the script, there is no way this movie is going to be boring. Fair, fair. So do you know who you want to cast yet? I mean, obviously, some of the extras are going to be people that back it. But have you gotten to the point where you're like talking to actual actors? Are you going to try to get names? Or are you going to go with new fresh faces or okay so if we if one of our stretch goals if we go be like we're we're aiming for about um we have two two tiers you know forty five thousand we'll get the movie made sixty thousand we'll get we'll get a a more expensive version of the movie made <laughs> and then if we are i believe we have a stretch goal at seventy thousand where that's where we will reach out to the horror community and uh try to get some a name actor into the into the script um, other than that, we're going to be we're going to be working from a pool of like you know independent like journeymen and w women actors who from if you're if you're in the horror scene you will probably recognize them but like you know name name wise they're always going to be like that 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 guy or that that person. So when what are the dates of this go Indiegogo? Because I know like okay. Kickstarter they only have so long. How about for Indiegogos? Because I know we do try to keep this evergreen, but I really want those who are listening and are excited to know when they should be going and backing this. Well, the Indiegogo is live now, and it should be live for another uh, another almost two months. Good. Um, you know, if so. I if I if I can throw out the URL. Yeah. No, we okay. will put it in the show notes. Sure. It's... Believe me, that was actually the next question we were going to ask. How do we find you and the and this campaign? Well, it is Indiegogo.com slash projects slash shingles dash the dash movie. Nice. And as usual, show notes, people, if you didn't write that down. But I bet if you searched um, shingles, you would find it on the Indiegogo. So and and feel free or I, I'll, I may ping you and remind you also to share it in our Facebook group for our listeners so that they can go to it because we are all about seeing people succeed. So uh, when is the uh, when is this Indiegogo close? Two months so, from now? Yeah, about two months from now. So August, I guess, uh, 
in uh, in October it'll it'll close uh, probably yeah, midish October. Okay. And then uh, if it, if it winds up being funded, we we'll, uh, we will uh, be filming this in uh, in twenty uh, twenty two. Nice. Neat. Nice. Did you have any more questions about the Indiegogo? I don't know enough about movie making and cetera at all to uh, to ask a lot of informed, sciencey, smart sounding questions. So is there and, anything you want to ask, Doc? I don't know. I, I don't pay attention. My friend, I have a friend who has an MFA in film and she'll start talking and I'm like, okay, yeah, pass the potato chips. <laughs> yeah, I, I will say this. I mean, all those of us who wrote the script, uh, you know, myself, Drew Hayes, John Hartness, Robert Bevan, Steve Weatherall, uh, we're 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 novelists, um, so we know we know how to do that part. Um, but we are primarily uh, we are primarily, you know, putting putting the movie itself in uh, Steve Rzinski's hands because he this is this is his wheelhouse. Um, so we're not we're not trying to like you know get in there and 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 you know, I guess direct over his shoulder and such. Well, John has a background in theater, so he knows a little bit about looking at somebody and going, yeah, they can act. Whereas I'm like, I just smile a lot. But yeah, so that sounds really awesome. We're, we're really excited for it. I mean, if, if it happens that, that, like I said, it's one of those it's one of those bucket list dream come true items, because, uh, you know, if you write a book, your dream is to kind of. You know, one, I mean, the writer progression is one, I dream of writing a book. Now it's like, okay, I wrote a book. Now I want people to read it. Now people have read it. Now I dream of it being like a movie or a TV sh show. I've actually talked with some authors who say they write with that in mind. So I'm like, that's one way of doing it. But they did, one said that it, it was really great because it forced him to put pictures of what he was looking at in front of him so that he did, he had very vivid descriptions. No, yeah. I, I, I can understand that. I mean, I'm 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 a movie I'm, I'm a movie watcher myself. So especially action scenes, I plot out action scenes like like it's a movie in my head. You know that's that, that's kind of how I want how I want to see it. I don't really necessarily go for realism. You know, I want the cool explosions in the background, the people flying through the air, the like you know the awesome the awesome like you know shots of like you know of finishing moves and such. Finish him. All right, sorry. Played one too many arcade games. Wait, are arcades still a thing? Yes, they are. Yeah. Okay, good. Come to get I'm out of your hidey hole, JR. I just check in. I don't know. You but, love um, that pixel. Yeah, well, you know, somebody's got to keep you safe. <clears throat> I'll keep the zombies at bay, everyone. But uh, clearly not in the Shingles universe because I'll just get eaten in a sex shop. Wait, that sounded bad. Phrasing. Better you than me. <laughs> yeah same <laughs> alright so uh, clearly this interview is winding down so before we wrap this up was there anything about the legend of Jimmy Headshot that we didn't ask that you want to tell us before we move on well as I said it's available both in ebook audio and it is available in print as well uh, it is uh, it is part of a, of a large massive series so once you this is one of those once you dive into shingles uh, or once you get infected by shingles the rabbit hole is pretty deep. There is a lot to keep you going there. Uh, there's a lot of. There's also a lot of diversity in the in the books and re with regards to, uh, you know, as I said, multiple different authors write them, so you get like you know different style and such. Um, so, it, it's not a series that's like you know that's easy to get like you know bored of. And if you find and if you find like you know one one story you don't like, well, there's plenty of others that touch upon other subjects. Uh, 
it's a it's a whole smorgasbord of 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 awful. He says with a smile. Well, awful in a awful in a good way. I mean, okay, so I I, I was I was one of my in my Facebook where I was mentioning before the concept of humor and the thing that yeah we all we all want to be like politically correct I guess uh, you know out there right now but the truth is a lot of us just laugh at terrible things when it's just ourselves. Yep, one hundred percent. You know. I mean, I mean, when, when, like, when we were twelve year old, what was the thing like twelve year olds did? We shared like dead baby jokes, which is just the most awful thing in the world. Wait, but you're only supposed to do that when you're twelve. Allegedly, allegedly. Shh, yeah. I mean, I seem to remember certain cadences about napalm sticking to kids. Um, I was the person who hated do running cadence so i learned all the forbidden cadences you only need to know a couple lyric a couple lines of them before they yell at you and don't let you yell cadences ever again yes. yeah this is true especially i imagine that's more so true in this modern um climate and we'll leave it at that so actually i think it's more because i was a female saying it that really freaked out the older ncos Fair, fair. So quick question. You mentioned <laughs> that you have um, paperback copies available. Uh, I imagine that's on the Amazons as well. But if somebody wanted signed copies, how would that go? Uh, well, you could either uh, you could either find me at a convention because I am willing to sign anything as, uh, as as you saw with that baby picture. <laughs> or uh, or my website, uh, rickwaltieri.com. I have a section on there for autographed copies. Um, you know, I try to price them fairly. I don't charge for my autograph because I don't think anybody should do that. But uh and I just charge, you know, the Amazon price and uh, and shipping. And I am more than happy to get those out there to people. So speaking of this uh, signing the baby picture that we talked about, I didn't have to share. So if somebody wanted to see that, see, it is August 15th. It'll be airing on the 16th. If they sign up for your newsletter before September 1st, could you share that in your September newsletter? I could so if you want to see the picture people which is <laughs> he says the guy who's like i'm not sure i'm supposed to be sharing that i think it's hilarious so i think you should share it and if people want to see it they just got to sign up for your newsletter it's a win-win all around i i know the i know the person whose baby it is so i can i can most certainly ask if, uh, if they about mind. That angle. yeah <laughs> very good point yeah i, I, will, I will say you don't really see the baby's face but it's still you know always a nice idea see this yeah, is I, why they have the grown-ups in the room <laughs> I, have, I have special needs kids, so I occasionally have to put on my, my adult hat. And that's kind of one of the things of like, you know, of, uh, you know, online adults are kind of fair game. But kids, you want to you want to make sure you cover your Absolutely bases. Absolutely understand. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I understand. I've posted um, that my son broke his arm second day of school. And I had a lot of people go, wait, you have a kid? And I'm like, yes. How old's your kid? And I'm like, don't worry about it. Why don't you ever talk about him? Because it's not your business. Yeah. Like I love, I love people who who know me through fandom. I love people that listen to us on the podcast. But our kids didn't sign up to be part of the show. One one hundred percent. Like I ha I have videos uh, on on in my my reader group of like you know my myself my wife and like my oldest who's twenty one you know like trying like you know trying like foods that like you know some of our from my readers have sent. But he's 21, and it's he's choosing to do that, and uh, it winds up being funny because, well, you know, it's kind of funny watching, I guess, uh, watch my own kid tell me to go F myself on camera. <laughs> <laughs> See, my kid would get hung up by, the, by his toes. But yeah, beyond, beyond, below a certain age, you know, I, I kind of want to reach a certain age with them where it's like, okay, 
you know you're going to be online and you consent to it as opposed to me making that choice for you. Yeah. Fair so. enough. All right. So um, you we've still see his face. You can just edit out the baby. It's a great face. <laughs> yeah. Um, or you could just slap a, like a picture of Seska's face over the baby's face and then. <laughs> All right. So uh, Rick, we funny today. I will. I will find you. Uh, can you tell listeners how they can find you? And all of that will be in the show notes, by the way. So check it out, including the Indiegogo campaign. Check that out, too. And if you like horror, you like Goosebumps, you want to catch a case of shingles, back the Indiegogo. Wow. Look oh, what yeah. you made me say, Rick. <laughs> well, as I tell people, I am Rick Gualtieri everywhere. I'm on Twitter, Facebook, rickgualtieri.com. Um, since most people can't sp- or have trouble spelling that, heck, sometimes I misspell it. I tell people if uh, if you get stuck, just uh, just do a search for either Bill the Vampire or Toma Bill, because both of those will kind of lead you to me as well. His his website, which is so awesomely named that nobody can forget it, is poptartmanifesto.com. You will never forget that one. You can't misspell it. There you go. You will find him. <laughs> that's, that, that's, that, that is my blog. And for years, I've been trying to keep that blog I've been trying to find focus for that blog of or that blog of like you know hey I should do certain types, and instead it's just like a random spewing of whatever is at the top of my head at the moment. Hey, the, it gets it out of your head. Particularly, some authors have that problem if they don't get it out of their head. It's just I'm not getting anything else done. Else. All right, and you can find us on our website at anchor.fm backslash. Nope, let me try it again. Website is anchor.fm backslash blasters tech and tech blades, anchor.fm backslash blasters dash and dash blades, Twitter at SF underscore fantasy underscore show, Sierra Foxtrot underscore fantasy underscore show. You can email us at blasters and blades podcast at gmail.com. Again, that's blasters and blades podcast at gmail.com. Be sure to send all of your hate mail to Seska at blasters and blades.com. I promise she loves to hear you tell her everything she did wrong. It will go perfectly well for you. Uh, you can find us. On I'm Facebook. always nice. Sure. Just bless their heart. Sure. So you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash groups backslash Blasters and Blades podcast. Again, backslash groups backslash Blasters and Blades podcast, where we host all of the shenanigans. Uh, we will even post the Indiegogo campaign. Uh, you can support the show at buymeacoffee.com backslash author J.R. Hanley. Be sure to put in the comment section that is for the podcast. Again, that is buymeacoffee.com backslash author J.R. Hanley. We will keep the intrepid co-hosts doc seska and nick garber duly intoxicated they will drink until their livers surrender never quit nobody and likes a quitter nobody likes a quitter and if uh, i have to hit the button so they don't want you hitting the red buttons drunk apparently i don't know what that's about but uh, if you all want to support the show on a more reoccurring basis you can support us over on anchor.fm backslash blasters tack and tack blades for as little as 99 cents a month or as much as ten dollars and if you want to do more i'm sure we could make that happen but uh, we appreciate those that do support us. It helps keep the light on um, and keep the uh, the fees manageable. So bring us home, Doc. Thank you for spending some of your precious time with us. For the absentee, overworked Nick Garber, who should be drawing me a comic book right now, J.R. Hanley, I'm Seska. This was the Blasters and Blades podcast. We'll be back next week at the same time. We'll indulge our love of nerd culture, cheesy jokes, picking our J.R., things that go boom, and seeing what other crazy stuff I end up saying. 
Uh, the first and foremost, we have to remember the most important rule. Pineapple does not belong.